Well, happy Father's Day to all of you today. Uh, Father's Day is a great day. Um, I remember my first Father's Day. I was, my wife was pregnant. She's like, happy Father's Day. I'm like, I kind of half feel like a dad, but not really yet. Because I haven't changed the diaper, actually paid a price yet. I'm just watching you pay the price of having children. Uh, but dads, I know this, one of the most influential things in my life, the person uh, who, along with my mother, set me up for success in life, uh, my dad. And he just paid a price to sacrificially love me and care for me. And what he also was, he showed me the example of the Father's love for me. And so for all of you dads here today, we celebrate you. We encourage you. God has an incredible call and purpose on your life. And today, maybe you have some broken relationships with your dad, and it can be a little bit of a hurtful day for us. But this is what I want you to know, is that you have a heavenly father. And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he is the perfect father. And even though every earthly father, we're all fallen, we're all broken, we all need God's grace in our life, but we do have a perfect father, and he loves you, and he meets you where you're at. And today it was so cool. One of my friends, uh, Ituha Cloud, who's been here, you guys have heard him, yeah. and he comes from extreme brokenness in his family. His father left his family when Ituha was three for another man. And so growing up with that going on, ended up passing away when he was 12 years old from AIDS and ended up you know, just joining gangs and drugs and all sorts of other things, trying to fill that hole that was in his life. But God did something miraculous in him. And now today he's raising his sons to love Jesus and follow them. So if there's been brokenness in your life or maybe you've been living as a father and you say, I've made some mistakes and it hasn't been the best so far, today's a new day. And God's mercy is new for you. And today you can decide that, God, I need your grace, mercy, and forgiveness in my life. And I'm going to run after everything that you've called me to. We believe that God gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live in a new way. That God's grace doesn't just forgive our sins, but it empowers us to live free from sin. So take up that mantle of being a father, run after it, and do everything you can to model the love of our Father to your children. And if you don't have kids, there's a lot of people that need dads, so go out and find one and mentor them, invest in them. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, I'd encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13 and 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I love digital Bibles. I love that we have stuff on the screen, but there is nothing like a paper Bible. So I encourage you, if you have one, bring it with you, open up to it, highlight stuff, circle things, draw funny faces and question marks like, what on earth is he talking about? Uh, but do something. If you don't have a Bible, stop by the information table and we'll get some for you there. We're always running out, so if we don't have one today, we'll have more next week for you. But uh, get a Bible, start learning it, writing in it, bringing it to church with you. And today we're continuing in our series, From This Day Forward. We've been talking about marriage. And the big question we've been answering is, is it possible to have a great marriage? And the, que the answer to that question is, yes, but it's not likely. It's incredibly difficult to have a good and a strong marriage. And we see the evidence of that in that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And the majority of marriages that do stay together, you see a lot of unhappiness and brokenness in them. And so if we want to have a good marriage, we have to look at what it is that God's called us to do. How has he called us to live in marriage as husbands and as wives? How has he called us to be committed to each other? And so if we want to have a different result than what we're seeing in the world around us, we're going to have to live a different way. And there are five commitments we've been talking about. The first one was we have to seek God together. That has to be the priority of our life is together as husband and wife, we're going to seek after God and be committed to him. And the second one was that, I don't even remember what the second one was. Fight fair. There we go. We have to fight fair. I'm going to look at the graphic. I just talk a lot, so I don't know. 
We have to fight fair. We're all going to have conflict in our marriages and in all relationships. So we have to learn how is it that we fight for unity inside of our marriages. The third one, you have to have fun. I remember that one pretty well now. <laughs> that you can't just go through marriage not having any fun. God designed it to be fun and to be enjoyable. And that's something that you have to fight and contend for because life is busy and it will choke the joy out of marriage. So you have to fight for that. And the fourth commitment we're going to be talking about today is purity. We have to be committed to being pure in our marriages. And I think when we talk about the issue of purity, there's this mindset, especially in the world outside of church, is like God just doesn't want us to have any fun. The church is just trying to make up all these rules about things we can and can't do. I honestly think some people think that God's the God of no. Like, nope, don't do that. Nope. Hey. I think like some people think God looked down at Adam and Eve and saw some bushes rustling and said, hey, hey, what on earth? Get the spray bottle out. Stop that. Don't you dare. Not on my watch. I got to create some more rules here. We're going to keep this from happening anymore. But that's not how God operates. He's not just trying to give us all of these rules and requirements for purity because he wants to steal fun from us. He does it for our protection. And this is what we have to understand as we're coming into this today. And this is going to be one of the more uh, countercultural messages because this is as countercultural as it gets, the way that God calls purity versus the way that the world treats sexuality. And so I encourage you, like, be open to what it is that God's saying. I'm not going to try to present a bunch of opinions because, uh, man, there are a lot of opinions out there. We don't need more opinions. We need more of what God's truth is revealed to us through Scripture. So we're going to fly through a lot of Scripture today. Uh, so try to bear with me. But here's uh, how purity works. I love going to the zoo. My family loves it on our days off, which are Mondays. Oftentimes we're going to the zoo because my kids are two and four and they love seeing the animals and they just love being in awe of all of God's creation and all of these cool things that God's made. And I love going there and I'm always like, I wonder what that animal tastes like. That's how I always treat it when I'm at the zoo. I'm in awe of like, hmm. It's just a hunter-gatherer is still in me genetically somehow, and I'm always seeing animals and wondering, what would that taste like? So we all enjoy going to the zoo. But this Monday was the first time that I've been to the zoo since that whole gorilla thing happened, Hammurabi or whatever the gorilla's name was. And, and so I'm thinking, oh man, I saw what happened to the parents of those kids and I don't want that happening to me. I mean, my kids also, I want them to be safe, but I don't want all the online hate and backlash that's going to occur if my kid jumps into an exhibit. So I'm like, okay, give me your hands. We got the buddy system. Nobody lets go for anything in the entire world. Like, I am not ending up on the news, and my kids are not ending up in a pit. So I'm holding them, and we're walking, and we come up to the white rhino exhibit. And the rhino's kind of like off in the distance, like they're always, our animals are always sleeping at the zoo, never doing anything cool. And Eason says, hey, Daddy, can you pick me up so that I can see the rhino? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So to do that, I have to let go of Brielle's hand. I turn around, I pick him up, and as I turn him around, put him on my shoulder, I look, and Brielle has climbed up the fence <laughs> for the exhibit already in that amount of time. And I see her as her feet slip through the rails of the fence her body goes through, and she's stuck with just her head sticking on my side and the rest of her body sticking on the rhino side of the exhibit. Like, this cannot be happening. Like, I turn my back for one second, so I drop Eason as carefully as is possible, and I grab onto her, and I'm like yanking her out of that exhibit before the white rhino finally wakes up and decides it wants to play. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? Like, what's going on here? And all the parents are looking at me like, ugh. I'm like, don't judge me. You don't know what just happened. I was trying. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad my little girl's okay. But like, it happened so fast. And you know what? She, she didn't thank me. She wasn't like, oh, thank you, Father. Blessed are you, mighty protector, for saving me from the rhino. But what I did was I wrote down in my journal about it, and I'm considering this her graduation gift. Remember that time I saved you from the white rhino? You're welcome. But her mindset of it, this is what's happening. The zoo is thinking, that white rhino, that's dangerous. We have to set up a fence that's going to keep people from getting in there with the rhino and being killed. But my two-year-old is looking at it and is saying, look at that white rhino out there. That looks like so much fun. What could possibly go wrong? I'm going to go jump. I'm going to pet it. We're going to have a tea party. I'm going to ride it around like a horsey. We're going to be best friends. And she looks at that fence that's there and she sees it as something that's inhibiting her, an obstacle that must be overcome for her to be able to have fun and to enjoy life. What harm could possibly come of this? And that's the way I think it is for us with God. See, God knows that there are things in this world sexually that we have to stay away from. And so what he does is he creates these boundaries around them to keep us from going in there and being hurt or being damaged and destroyed by them. But too many times we have the the mindset of a two-year-old. We don't understand what it is. We don't see the danger inside of it. And so we look at these boundaries that God has set up and we just see these as obstacles that keep us from really having a good time or doing the things that really are inside of our heart. But God didn't create any of these boundaries around the area of sexuality for his protection he didn't create them for his safety. He didn't keep them to create them to inhibit us or try to take the joy out of life. Every one of these things he created to keep us safe. Yeah. Because what God says is that he wants us to have life abundantly. That's what he wants for us. That's his goal. That's his heart. He's not trying to keep us from things. He wants us to have blessing inside of our life. He wants us to have the fullness of everything that we can have, but he also knows that there are things that are destructive to us, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't have the mindset, because, I mean, we're, we're not even like a two-year-old compared to God. We don't understand. We can't see the danger behind everything, but God knows. And so as we're going through this today, I want you guys to know that this is the mindset, this is the heart behind it is that we're going to talk about some things that might seem stupid in the eyes of the world. We're going to talk about some things that might go against the way that you've been living or even the way that you believe. But every one of these things we're going to talk about comes from God's word. And they're here because it's what's going to be best for you. God put these in place to keep you safe because we all see different things. There are different temptations out there and we think, I really, the stupid fence, I'm going to hurdle this thing and I'm going to go play with the elephant or the rhino or the leopard or the tiger or whatever and we don't see how it could hurt us. But God sees that. And so he's established boundaries for us so that we can be safe and so that we can experience all that he has for us. And this is... Uh, what it comes down to in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4. This is the the vision for purity uh, that God gives us. It says this, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. 
For God will judge the adulterer in all the sexually immoral. And what God is doing is he's starting out by saying that marriage is so great and it's such an incredible gift from God that we need to honor it for what it really is. Too many times we dishonor it. We don't understand what a great gift it is. It's like when you give your kids a card and you have all of the nice words that you've written inside of it and they're just looking to see if there's a $1 bill in there and then they take that and throw the card away. It's like, you know, you don't understand. Like you threw away the great gift. You've dishonored this gift that I've given you. You've treated it so lightly. And this is what God is saying is that we have to honor marriage. We have to understand what an incredible gift it is that he has given to us. And one of the ways that we honor our marriage is through keeping the marriage bed pure. And we tend to think of honoring marriage as something that only married people do, that you can't dishonor marriage if you aren't married. But here's what you need to understand, that if you're single here today or if you're in a dating relationship, what you're doing right now, the way that you are in your purity, is either honoring or dishonoring the marriage that God will lead you into one day. The way that you honor marriage starts long before you get married. And it continues all the way through your marriage until, like we said in our covenants when we exchange vows, until the day I die, I'm forsaking everyone else and I'm committed to you. So from the day you're born until the day that the Lord calls you home, the way that you're living your life is either honoring or dishonoring your marriage. And the word sexual immorality that's used here is actually from the Greek word pornea, which probably sounds like something you've heard of before. And what it means is it's, it's a, a, kind of like a, a, um, a lump word for all sexual immorality. So what it means is anything outside of sex between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for life is considered sexual immorality. So uh, premarital sex, uh, extramarital, uh, same sex, animals, uh, you know, looking at porn, flings, one night stands, anything like this. Those are all things that are considered sexual immorality. And these are all things that God has placed a boundary around to keep you from being damaged and hurt by them. Now, our culture thinks that if you live according to this requirement or this standard for purity, like that's just absolutely crazy. Why on earth would you ever live that way? Why would you submit yourself to this? A lot of people think that this is sort of a, an old-fashioned way of living your life. And there are even a lot of Christians uh, today who don't subscribe to this. They say, you know, what the Bible's talking about, that's for 2,000 years ago. Times have changed. We've become an enlightened people now. Uh, but the reality is that when we reject what it is that God has called us to and we climb over the fence, destruction always follows every time. We don't see it. If we knew it was going to happen, we wouldn't do it. But we don't understand what it is that God's trying to protect us from. So this is the way that our culture typically treats purity or sexuality. You start dating, and then, you you know, it's like, hey, I really like this person, and so then you start sleeping together. And then you're you're bonded together because it's not just physical. Our culture likes to say it's just a, a biological function or a need that you have. There's nothing more to it. But that is, like, You're either believing a lie or you have no idea what you're doing because it's something that's an emotional and a spiritual connection that occurs. It bonds you together in ways that you can't imagine until you experience that. And so then what happens is you're bonded together quicker than you were ever supposed to have been. And now you start thinking everything's great. I don't see any of the flaws in this person. Life is great. So let's live together. And then you move in together. 
And then what happens is something will occur at some point. You break up, and then you're not together anymore, and then you find someone else. You start dating. You start becoming intimate, living together. And you just keep doing this over and over and over again until you find someone that you're going to marry, and you think this is the one, even though you thought all of these other people were the one. So what we're doing is we're practicing marriage over and over again. We're doing things that married people are supposed to do. And when you're living like a married person, when you end up breaking up, that's like a divorce. It's not just a normal breakup, which is painful enough as it is. But when you've been bonded together as one, when you've been sharing a life together, when you've been living as a married couple, but without the the safety that comes from that lifelong covenant, then when difficulty comes, you end up bolting. You know, the number one reason why people break up today is because of cheating. The number one reason why marriages and why even people that aren't married break up today is because someone is unfaithful inside of that relationship. Why is that? It's because that's what we've been practicing over and over again. And so then when you do get married, when the difficulty comes which it will, every marriage has incredible difficulties in it because you're taking two separate lives and trying to cram them into one life. When that difficulty comes, you've already practiced, hey, when things get tough, when things get hard, I can bolt. It's what I've already practiced. I've practiced divorce several times, so I'll just do it again. Or you say, I can go out and I can find someone else that's going to fulfill me. I can find someone else that's emotionally going to give me what I want or physically give me what I want. And since you've already been practicing that in previous relationships, that's what comes natural to you. And so this is the end result of all of that. The way that our world views marriage and sexuality is it ends up leading to this. Is that over 75% of all people who get married after their marriage will either have affairs, pornography addictions, friends with benefits, or an emotional affair that occurs. 75% of all people get married. That's what happens after they get married. Uh, That blows my mind. But it's not surprising that's what happens because when you look at the way that we're living and what it's creating inside of us, what it's conditioning us for, this is the only place it ever can lead us to. And that's why God says, I'm going to put up some boundaries because I don't want that for you. I met someone uh, today, they were coming in there telling me it was their 40-year anniversary. That's awesome. That's what I want. I want 40, 50, 60-year anniversaries that we're celebrating. People have been together and loved each other for a lifetime and raised a family and encountered God's goodness inside of their marriage and his blessing, but that doesn't come naturally. If we just follow the way that the world does everything, if we just come to every boundary that God has set up and say, that's not for us, that's not something that really applies to me, God, you're just trying to keep me from having fun, that's old-fashioned, and we climb over the fence, then we're going to become one of the statistics and we're going to be one of the 75% of married people that has affairs, pornography, addictions, friends with benefits, emotional affairs, flings, and all that other kind of stuff. And let me tell you, I've done a lot of weddings and I have never once seen seen a couple hold hands and look into each other's eyes and that's what they wanted. Every one of us when we got married, even if you're not married, if you're single, dating, you're hoping to be married someday, you don't want that 75% statistic. You want that lifelong blessing that comes from following Jesus. And the only way that we're going to receive that 
is when we put our faith and trust in God and say, God, even when I don't understand it, I'm going to trust that the fences and the boundaries that you have put up are for my own protection. Even when it goes against the culture that's around me, even when it goes against what I've been practicing and doing inside of my own life, God, I'm going to trust you. And we can make these commitments that from this day forward, I'm going to live in a new way. Because every one of us, we've all crossed that fence. Every single one of us. Jesus said, if you even look lustfully at someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. So what does that mean? It means every single one of us, we're all adulterers. So we can't look at someone else and judge them or be like, that person's terrible, there's no redemption for them. We all have to come to a place where we say, I've crossed that line. There's been brokenness inside of me. So I can't be haughty with someone else. I can't be unforgiving or lacking mercy for someone else because I'm guilty of just as much as anybody else is guilty of. This is what I love about Paul. He says that when he really recognizes the gospel, he says, I'm the biggest sinner I know. And we all have to get to that point. I'm the biggest sinner I know. And we don't have to be worried about trying to tell our culture and the world how to live. We just need to focus on what it is that God's called us to live out. Because we're convicted by God through the Holy Spirit to live in a way. So we can't try to be the Holy Spirit to the world that's around us. We love them. We bless them. We speak truth. But we don't judge them. We just continue to point to Jesus and the blessings in the life that he's called us to. And we focus on worrying and making sure that we ourselves are living according to God's call in our life. So... Here's the first verse that really begins to talk about this. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5, through 5, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Paul is saying, listen, this is something we have to learn. It doesn't come natural to us. God's call for purity isn't the natural reaction of our human hearts. It's something that's incredibly difficult, and it's something that we have to learn. It's a process that we go through in doing this. And he's saying what we can't do is follow our feelings. Our feelings will lead us into all kinds of bad places. My feelings, sometimes those are my worst enemies. How many times have you had feelings that just completely lied to you? Have you ever followed your feelings and it led you to a place you're like, oh, wow, that was a really bad idea? (laughs) All the time. That's like the story of my daily life. We can't trust our feelings. If we follow after our feelings, after the desires of our heart all the time, it's going to lead us into the rhino cage and it's going to lead us to destruction. We have to follow what it is. We have to learn the way that God has called us to live. And God says this in Hebrews chapter 5, But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. He says not a hint of it. See, we have a five-second rule approach to life. You drop something on the floor and you're, eh, it's not, this hasn't been on that long. I'm sure that's good still. I can eat that. But we do the same thing with sexuality and sexual immorality. You're like, yeah, this isn't that bad. I can see a little bit of skin. This isn't going to hurt me. You know, I can, this isn't too bad. But if you guys ever like had a glass of water, if you have kids and they drink out of it and you see a couple of floaties in it and you're like, mm, I think I can still drink this. Like, it's not too bad, but you have a threshold in your mind that you've created for how pure the water has to be. This sexual immorality isn't like the floaties in your water. It's like cyanide in your water. There is no safe amount of poison for you to consume. 
It says that we have to flee, or I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, it says flee from sexual immorality. He's saying that when you come across sexual immorality or temptation, he's like, you've got to take the Forrest Gump approach. You've got to run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Do not stick around. Do not try to deal with it on your own. Don't try to wrestle it and fight temptation. When you come across that temptation, it says that you flee from it. Get out of there. Don't drink the floaties in your water. When it presents itself, you have to flee. And then he goes on to say this, and if you're not a Christian here today, this might seem like the craziest thing of all, but it says that you are not your own. See, if you aren't a Christian, then yeah, you can make the choices for what you want to do with your life. That's entirely up to you. You get to make the choices for what you do with your body. But if you're a Christian, then what that means is there came a time and a place where you recognize that through Jesus' death on the cross, through him sacrificing himself and his body for you, he made it possible for the forgiveness of sins, for the resurrection of the dead, the hope that we have, new life in Jesus. And we looked at our life and we said, my life and the decisions I've been making aren't so great. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to surrender control of my life to God. I'm going to say, I'm not my own anymore. I was bought with a price. Jesus shed his blood to redeem me, to save me, to give me a new hope and a future. And because I trust him now, I'm going to leave that old life behind. I'm going to leave the decision-making control over the way that I view the world and what's right and wrong. All of that's behind me now. And I'm going to say, Jesus, I submit myself to you. I'm not my own anymore. I'm yours. And that's what we're being reminded of. That as believers, the decision-making was already surrendered when we surrendered our life to Jesus. We aren't our own. We were bought with such a precious price. And honestly, it's not a burden for us to have to surrender control of our lives to Jesus. Because the blessings that come from it are so much greater than anything we ever experienced before. So much greater. I've been bought with a price. And then it says in Galatians chapter 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. Now there's still desires that go against, I still want to jump in the rhino cage. There are still things that look like a lot of fun that appeal to my old nature. But what I have to say is these old desires, the feelings, the lust of my flesh, I crucified those. They're nailed to the cross. And that I live a new way now. And so this is what we had to make, this commitment that from this day forward, if we want to live out purity inside of our life, if we don't want to become the 75% statistic, if we don't want to practice divorce and all of the hurt that comes from that, then we have to be committed to God's purity. So from this day forward, number one, we have to make a commitment to God's standards. And this is what I'm calling us to as a church, not the world, not the city, all that stuff. I'm saying is that we as the church, the people who surrendered our lives to Jesus, we have to come to the place where we say, God, your standard, what you've revealed, that's the standard that I now am going to live my life according to. And if we don't do that, then what we're doing is we're saying that you aren't really God in our life. You see, what makes God God is, is that he's able to define what's right and wrong. He's able to define what truth is. So when he speaks truth to us through his word, when we look at his standard, we have the decision to either accept it 
and confirm the decision that we made for his lordship in our life and say, God, you are God. I don't even necessarily agree with this. I don't understand it. But you know what? I believe you're smarter than me. I believe your ways are higher than my ways. I've surrendered myself to you. You are God in my life, so I'm going to live according to your standard. But if you don't do that, if you come to God's standard and you say that's not the way that I'm going to live my life, then effectively what you're doing is saying that you aren't God in my life, that I am. But we as a church have been called to more than that. We've been called to live according to God's standards, not the opinions of our culture because there are so many opinions out there and we don't need more. We need the truth of God's standard because an opinion can't save you from destruction. But a boundary of truth will save you from death and destruction. It says in Psalm 139.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. That's the way. If you want to know how to keep your singleness, your dating life, your marriage pure, live your life according to God's word. Number two, we have to manage our minds or manage my mind. You have to be careful what you let into your mind. Because you have, like people talk about a one-night stand. One-night stands don't exist. One week, two week, one-year stands exist because those thoughts were in your mind. You had been considering those things long before you ever engaged in any sort of an action. So we have to guard what it is that we allow to come into our minds, especially in the age of media that we live in today. Every sort of temptation that could possibly appeal to any person, we have instant access to. Even coming to church in a movie theater, like I'm walking and I see a movie post, oh, don't look at that one, don't look at that one. Is this a church? Like, What's going on here? But isn't it cool we get to do church in a place like this? But everywhere you go, you have to continually guard what it is that you're allowing into your mind. You have to monitor what it is that you're viewing, the thoughts that you're entertaining. Uh, In our age, uh, like uh, internet pornography is such a huge thing that so many people struggle with. Uh, Over statistically, over half the men and women in this room struggle with pornography. And I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. If that's you, I don't want you to feel shamed because of that. But I want you to know that God has called you to something higher and he has the ability to deliver you from that. But we also have to do something on our end where we have to put some healthy boundaries in place there. So if that's you, if you're struggling with that, Uh, There are great programs like Covenant Eyes, Triple X Watch, things like that that you can install on your computer. And what it does is it filters and then also it sends a report of all the websites that you visited to one of your friends once a week. (laughs) Makes it a lot harder, doesn't it? (laughs) And so that's what I encourage you guys to do. That's something my several friends that we do that for each other because we know that there are all kinds of temptations and all kinds of thoughts and those thoughts that are planted in us will bear fruit later on in our lives. And people say, are you that weak that you would actually be concerned about that? Absolutely. 99.9% of the time I'm not that weak, but that 0.1% of the time when I am, that can destroy 35 years of life and what I've been trying to build for the kingdom. I want to put guards in my life. And so if you're struggling with something, whatever it is, some sort of sexual immorality, guard what it is that you're allowing into your mind and then also bring other people around you and establish safety nets so that you don't even have the opportunity to walk into those sorts of things. 
We have to be proactive about this. We can't be reactive. Because if it's reactive, there's already been a whole lot of damage that's done. It says this in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a girl. Psalm 101.3 says, I will set my eyes on no vile thing. We have to make that commitment to purity that we are going to do everything in our power and even beyond that, we're going to bring others around us that are going to help us to guard our hearts and our minds because sexual immorality always starts in your mind and in your heart. And then number three, we have to magnify the consequences. Whenever I'm tempted and every single one of us is tempted, every single one of us, one of the things that I do is I start thinking about what will the price be if I indulge in this temptation? What's the price tag that's associated with it? What's it going to cost me? Because we all think we're just going to jump in the rhino cage, ride around, have a great time, nothing bad's going to happen. But we got to know what that price tag's going to be. So I actually think about that when I'm tempted. I think about my wife and what it's going to mean if I have to tell her what it is that I've done, how I've broken trust with her, the hurt that that's going to cause her. Or what if it destroys my marriage? Am I willing to like, sacrifice my marriage to indulge in this temptation? I think about my children. And what's going to happen to them if I destroy my marriage because I, I did something stupid? I think about the church. There's so many pastors out there are having affairs and so much sexual immorality in the church and the world outside of us looks at us and says, you guys are all a bunch of hypocrites. You're even worse than we are. See, just another pastor that had an affair and fell. I don't want to give anybody any more reason to believe that. I don't want to defame the name of Jesus and the reputation of the church because of my indulging in a lust. And I think about God and what it's going to do in my relationship with him if I indulge this temptation. I don't want to break the heart of the God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me. It says in Proverbs 6, A man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. What that's saying is that when you commit adultery or any form of sexual immorality, it was because you didn't have judgment. You didn't understand what the cost was going to be of it. So magnify the consequences. Make that list. If you're struggling right now, make that list. Put it on your desk. Put it somewhere where you can see it all the time. So every time you feel tempted, you look at that list and you know exactly what the consequences of your actions will be. And then number four, maintain proper relationships. This is what I do. I can sit there and I can just be the guy that's like, uh, you know, I'm tempted. No, bad Jeremy, bad pastor. Don't stop. No, no, no. I can do that. And there are times where I do have to do that. But what's even better is to continue to build and maintain the right relationships in my wife. You see, it's a lot easier for me to remain faithful to my wife when I'm just crazy in love with her. I don't have to say, no, don't cheat on her, don't cheat on her, don't cheat on her, everything inside of me wants to. When I'm just crazy in love with my wife and feeding that relationship, that temptation isn't there. Maintain that relationship with your spouse. 
maintain that right relationship with God. The more I love God, the more I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. I don't want to do something that's going to break his heart. And you have to maintain relationships with people in your life, friends, accountability partners, people who are going to uphold you and encourage you and support you in making the decision to live your life for Jesus and to live pure in a culture that is very far from God's call on us. You have to have those people inside of your life. And I know, once again, like counting the cost, the consequences, maintaining those relationships, understanding what's going to happen, continuing to feed those good relationships inside of my life. It says in Proverbs 13.20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion only suffers harm. A companion of fools only suffers harm. You need to have some other people in your life maintaining good relationships with other godly people who are living a life of purity, who will encourage you to do the same. So here's three responses today to this message. Is you're probably feeling one of these, and the first one might be defensiveness. You might be thinking, look, what I'm doing isn't that bad. I can handle this. You know, who are you to tell me how to live my life? And that's why I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you my opinions. I'm trying to tell you what God's call on us is. But right now, you might be feeling defensive about that, and you don't want to change. You don't even agree with anything it is that I've been saying from God's word today. The second response might be remorse. And this is saying, I believe. I've fallen short. I'm living with sin dominating me. I've put myself in a place of where hurt and destruction can come to me. Uh, I'm dishonoring my future marriage or my marriage that I'm in. But there's no hope for me. That's remorse, and that's not what God's called us to. See, what God's called us to is repentance. And that word repentance means to change your mind to agree with God. And so the response that God's called us today in the issue of purity is to say, I might have been living this way. I might have believed something that wasn't true. Maybe I've been shaped by our culture. I've been a product of our culture. Or maybe I've even been living in open defiance of God even though I knew what his call was on me. But today, I'm going to change my mind so that now I agree with God. And I'm going to ask God to forgive me of my sin. I'm going to ask him to come and to bring healing to me because this is what you need to understand so much is that that destruction that's been done inside of your life, the harm that's come to you, Jesus is able to heal and he's able to restore. There is hope for you. He's the God who restores brokenness. It says that he restores the years that the locust has stolen. And that's talking about locusts would come in and they would eat up the crops and you would have nothing left and you think there's no hope for me because there's no food. But God says, I come and I'm able to restore even that so that you can have a God-honoring marriage, that you can honor God in your dating, in your singleness, whatever it is. He's able to bring healing to you. Maybe you've been carrying sexual baggage from the way that you've been living your life and a harm and hurt that's been done to you because of what others have done or the decisions that you've made. God is able to heal. God is able to restore but it takes us coming to the place of repentance and saying, God, forgive me for what I've done. But today I change my mind to agree with you. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But godly sorrow 
I'm sorry, but worldly sorrow brings death. What he's saying is that if you make this decision to repent and to live a pure life, you won't have any regret about that decision ever. There's nothing that you can ever regret about that decision. But worldly sorrow brings death. What that means is that if we just continue to reject God and what he's called us to, if we keep crossing over those boundaries, it's going to bring us to the day where there's so much hurt and so much destruction inside of us that it brings us death. And that's not what God wants for you. That's not what you even want for you. You need to know the hope that we have in Jesus today. So let me ask you guys, let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for our marriages. God, thank you for the way that we can live even as single people, dating people. We know that you have a plan and a call in every one of us for purity, God, that you've set up these barriers to protect us. And Father, today, we ask that you would work repentance inside of our hearts. God, we want to be a people who live a pure life. We want to honor you. And Father, we pray today, God, that you would forgive us of our sins. Jesus, that you would speak to us, that you bring healing, hope, and restoration inside of us. God, that you would empower us through the Holy Spirit to live a life of purity. Jesus, that we would look to your word as a standard by which we live our life. Now we surrender to you. And today maybe you're here and you just feel far from God and you know your relationship isn't right with him. He's calling you today. He loves you. He's already died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, to give you new life. And today... If you want to make that decision to follow Jesus either for the first time or recommit your life to him, all you have to do is say, Father, forgive me. I repent, I turn from my sins, and I'm going to follow you. Would you send the Holy Spirit now to empower me to live a new life? God, I give all decision-making control over my life to you. God, work hope, work restoration, work healing in me today. From this day forward, I'm following you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are a new creation. It's a new start with God today, and it's just the beginning of the life that he's called you to and what he's going to do inside of your life.